0: Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, and we use that as a prelude. Uh, there are very few that are as good as John Piper in a couple minutes to declare such powerful truth. And uh, your pastor does not have that gift, so I'm going to take a little longer than two minutes. And uh, and we're going to explore uh, the, the subject matter of false teachers. We're in a series that we've entitled Upside Down Kingdom, a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we come to Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. There's a pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you. You can find our uh, text on page 812, page 812. And as we come to uh, the end of this Sermon on the Mount, we find Jesus uh, very quickly addressing uh, some, uh, if you will, mini-sermonettes on Uh, a couple different issues, but all pointing to one very important thing. As we talked about last week, Jesus is addressing the great contrast between uh, the narrow way and the broad way, the broad way that leads to destruction, the narrow way that leads to life everlasting and fellowship with God in heaven, and uh, that, that way is found through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as we learned last week, that there are two roads, again, one that is traveled by many and one that is traveled by few. There are teachers we're going to learn this week that are pointing people down each of those directions. The false teachers who, who proclaim the narrow way, but in fact are leading people down the broad way, Uh, are the false teachers and, of course, then the true teachers who uh, teach people to go the hard way, the way of the gospel, the way of obedience and following of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at them because Jesus has a word for us this morning, a word to remind us that just as in his day, our world and our lives and our churches are filled with all kinds of false teaching. And we need to be on guard against that, and we need to understand that the sad dilemma that that brings is that many think they're on the narrow way that leads to eternity with Jesus. And adhering to their their teachers and these teachers who, who proclaim the narrow way all the while saying it's okay to be on the broad way will one day stand before Jesus, and Jesus will say what we'll learn next week, I never knew you. And so we need to be on guard against this because Jesus wants to remind us how we are to discern the good teachers and the bad ones. And while on the surface they may seem that they're all the same, a deeper examination through Jesus' words will help us to see how destructive to the body of Christ and to believers these false teachers can be. And so we're going to listen to Jesus' words, and we're going to uh, pull uh, what I believe to be the truth of what Jesus is articulating to us, and uh, we're going to learn on, uh, as to how we can recognize false teachers and how they've infiltrated our world and our churches today. With that, as, a, as an introduction, let us stand and, and look to the uh, Scriptures, and we're going to be examining this under the heading, The Church's Most Wanted. The Church's Most Wanted. Matthew chapter 5. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. Here's what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ addresses in our text this morning. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Father God, we ask for your blessing on our time in the Word. Lord, I pray as I do what I believe you've called me to do and been given charge by the elders and the people of this church to do, it's to expose false teachers for who they are. And yet, Lord, I I recognize that I too am a sinner, and I too can be deceived. So, Lord, I pray your grace in my words, that they would be true, they would be right, they would come not from any human thinking or understanding, but from the core of your word. Father, I pray that what I teach and what I proclaim are not my words that would achieve me something as an individual, but that they would be your words and would remind all of us that we are sinners in need of grace. They would remind us of the work you've done on the cross. They would remind us that we have much to do as followers of Jesus Christ because there's a day where we'll stand before you And give an account for what we have listened to, give an account for how we've lived our lives, and give account to the doctrine that we have said is true when in fact it's a lie. So Lord, I pray for discernment for these people. I pray for discernment for us as a church that this place will be known for generations that we are followers of your word and your word alone. Lord, we stand upon that truth, and we give you the glory for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. As we address the topic matter of churches Most Wanted, right away as as I declare, and, I, and I'll tell you that, that I'm going to, by name, uh, be addressing some of the false teachers, and the reason why I believe them to be false teachers is And some of you are going to be offended by that because some of you are following some of those teachers unknowingly uh, as a result of not being good stewards of, of godly doctrine and the Scriptures. And you're going to be offended. I want to just tell you right away that after we're all said and done, I invite you to challenge me. Uh, and my words with regards to that by going and and going home and spending some time digging into the doctrines and beliefs of some of the teachers that we're going to call out. And if you can come back and and show me that they are are good and solid teachers, I'll come back next week and I'll stand and I'll tell you I was wrong with regards to them. I want to be humble in that. But I know I've studied, I know our elders have studied uh, the teachings of these men and women and have found them wanting as a result of the false teachings that they proclaim. Now, when we do talk about the churches most wanted, and we name some of these names right away, many will think that the most wanted is a positive thing. Because some of these false teachers have some of the largest churches and the most glamorous buildings with some of the uh, most incredible ministries going on. And their name is Christian through and through, and and, and the things that they say they desire seem totally godly and right. But Jesus is going to tell us that the ways of these individuals is a way that leads to destruction, and it will devour many in its wake. Now, during the time of Operation Iraqi Freedom, our military came up with a very strategic way to address Uh, the uh, uh, regime of Saddam Hussein. There were dozens upon dozens of individuals who were criminals who had helped serve Saddam in the uh, harassing and murdering of many citizens during the dictatorship of Saddam. And our government had to figure out a way, as, as the government system began to crumble during our invasion, how are we going to find these people and bring them to justice? An idea was brought forth that they would make a deck of playing cards. Remember that? The set of playing cards that would have the 52 most wanted of the Iraqi government that would be be charged with war crimes and crimes against humanity. Of those 52 cards, the aces, which identified the uh, most valuable of the targets that we were looking for, would be the two sons and brother of Saddam Hussein himself, who was the ace of spades. During the postmortem of the operations, many within field command said that there was much, and we we heard about it through the news, and we recognized it with our own eyes, there was much with regards to Operation Iraqi Freedom that did not go the way that we wanted. There was a lot of questions as to why we did the things that we did. But one of the things that got the highest marks was the strategic uh, use of playing cards. Because it allowed the U.S. Army to apprehend All of them within a short amount of time. The reason why is those playing cards became so commonplace that every individual that was on the face of those cards was seen over and over again. Can I tell you this morning that the church would do itself well to have a set of playing cards? I know playing cards, okay? Have a set of playing cards that had the most wanted of the false teachers Because we think that we know who false teachers are, and yet the Bible's going to tell us, and Jesus is going to tell us, that it's not as easy as we think. We need help with regards to it, and I want to use this message to help you understand how you are to understand and know if the teacher, including yours truly, is teaching and preaching the things of God and not things that the Bible says The doctrines of demons. And so, to do that, I want to look under three headings this morning. And Jesus right away begins by reminding us of the absolute urgency in this uh, examination of our teachers. Notice in our text in verse 15, he starts out with the word beware. The word beware is a word that should stop us in a track. Now, I've told you I'm not very educated uh, with regards to a lot of the biblical languages. You know, I, I don't have a lot of schooling. But here's one thing I know. When Jesus says beware, you should stop in your tracks. Jesus, the Lord of the universe, is telling you and I to be on our guard, to pay attention To be on the lookout. And any follower of Jesus Christ who hears Jesus say those words should stop and listen to what Jesus is saying. Now Jesus in saying this in the writings of scripture, it shows us that Jesus doesn't just say, "All right, let's beware. But that the tone that Jesus is using is one that I use with my children when I see them running into disaster or danger. I have a loud voice, and then I have the emergency voice that should stop my kids in their tracks. Watch out, is the kind of voice that Jesus is giving. Jesus is articulating with great urgency that you and I are to be on guard. You see, as parents, we use that kind of uh, uh, volume. An urgency when we see our kids running for the street and we see cars coming from both directions, we do that when we see our kids hurling themselves towards an open fire or uh, touching uh, the area around the stove, when we know that there 's great peril. That is before them. Jesus knows us better than ourselves. He knows what's being taught out there. And he wants us to stop in our tracks. To seize us in the moment. And recognize that just in the fir- as in the first century. There are false teachers everywhere. They were there before Christ. They were there during the ministry of Christ. They have been there throughout church history. And they are alive and well, alive and well here uh, today. And we need to be on the lookout. Now this idea of beware is, is the idea of one who is walking the narrow road who is now being moved or motivated to look towards the broad way. Remember, Jesus has said there are two ways, one that's narrow that leads to eternity, one that is broad that is easy and leads to destruction. And Jesus is reminding us, be careful that you don't think that you're on the narrow road all the while you find yourselves on the broad road. Be careful that you don't put yourself under teachers who say you can live like the broad way and think that you are on on the narrow way. Inherent within this command of the word beware is a calling to remain on the right course. Now it's important to remember that false teaching is something that is subtle today. Oh yes, we have cults that, that any good Orthodox Christian would right away hear their teachings and, and deny them right off the bat. But some of the teaching that's going on in our ministry, some of the things that are being sold on our bookshelves in Christian bookstores, some of the things that we hear on Christian radio, some of the things that are defined as Christian movies, some of the things that are on Christian TV are not Christian at all. But they are the way that leads to destruction. And we need to identify them. We need to know what to look for so that we can be aware of it. Now, notice who he says we need to be looking out for. He says, beware of what? Jesus, what do you want us to be be aware of? He says, a false prophets. Now, that word prophets is a word that that maybe we don't know real well, and we don't have prophets, if you will, uh, today. You don't hear that terminology used. So let me help you define what the word prophet is. Uh, It's a twofold meaning. Number one, a prophet is one who foretells. A prophet is one who foretells. That is, he predicts things. And we see that throughout the scriptures of the prophets of old who would talk about the coming of Jesus Christ, would talk about his birth, would talk about all of the happenings during his time. We have the prophet Isaiah who would foretell, who would predict the things that were going to take place about Jesus' crucifixion and, and resurrection. And so that's the first definition. Jesus isn't talking about these per se. But he's looking at the latter of the definitions. Notice, a prophet is one who foretells, and a prophet is also one who foretells. What that means is this is a guy who preaches things. What I'm doing right now is I'm forth-telling, I'm proclaiming, I'm preaching, not the future, but what has been articulated in the past. And so I am articulating, in essence, thus saith the Lord. Here's what the Lord has said, and here is what uh, I believe, uh, through careful study, this is what the Lord has to say to you. And Jesus seemingly is talking about this group of false prophets, those who take the written word and then use it for their own gain instead of the glory of God. And so we need to be very careful. Now, again, what are these false teachers and prophets doing? Going back to the context of where we're at this morning, these false prophets are teaching that the Broadway can be lived in the life of the believer, all the while expecting the benefits and blessings of the narrow way. And so they're saying, you can live however you want, you can pursue the things of this world, and in the end, you will receive the, the narrow way and the blessings that come from it. And we need to be careful, because this type of teaching, as I said, is seen in our authors, our singers, our movie makers, but they're also found, of course, in the kingdom of the cults, the Mormons and Jehovah's Witness and the litany of other cults that are out there. We find it on Christian TV and radio. They are everywhere. And so if they are that prevalent, how do we know how to determine who's right and who's wrong? Notice Jesus helps us with three things. Number one, he says we need to look at the fraud they execute. They're hucksters. They're, they're uh, charlatans. They, they are, they are uh, perpetrating a fraud With the people and notice how do they do it? What's their mode of operation? Notice Jesus tells us in verse 15, beware of false prophets. Well, okay. What do they do? Well, they come to you, the scripture says, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Let's just stop there for a second. We're going to see that Jesus is going to use a couple different metaphors. He's going to talk about wolves in sheep's clothing, and he's going to talk about trees that bear diseased fruits. And we need to understand that it isn't in one sermon or, or one soundbite that we're going to understand and know who these false teachers are. When we look and examine a tree, we have to see a whole season of that tree's life to determine the fruit that they're producing and not. And so there are, there are heretics that will teach right away something that right away we can say, yeah, that's out of bounds, that's unorthodox, that's a heresy. What what Jesus is articulating is the ones that are a little more subtle they 're deceiving people. Well, how are they deceiving people? Notice that we see that Jesus says they do it first of all through their cunning words. Notice he says that uh, they are she- they are in sheep 's clothing but are wolves on the inside. And the idea there is they 're living life amongst the sheep as if they 're one of them. We have preachers and teachers today who are not what you would expect to be called false teachers. Why? Because they love to talk about God. They love to speak with great eloquence about the And style about the things of God and the cross of Jesus and the words of scripture and they will announce to the masses who are listening to them that they stand alone on the word of God and because of this uh, people like ourselves find ourselves seeing nothing wrong with them. They seem so wise and and godly and people flock to them and why? Because they're so likable and and they're pleasant to be around and the things they share are, are uplifting and with their words they lift people out of the depths of hell and they sing they to bring happiness to unbeliever and believer alike. They seem to bring joy and words of contentment to a crowd, no matter how big it is. They speak words that warm the hearts of people. Their sermons are filled with Bible verses that are taken out of context. They speak about the capacity of the human spirit and the potential for you and I to be champions. They're replete with stories and anecdotes of the human spirit and how following Jesus will win you health, wealth, and happiness. And what they share is of no offense to the natural man. They don't speak any words of conviction in fact, Isaiah 30 verse 10 says these false teachers will speak smooth things. In Jeremiah 6:14, they will tell people there is peace, peace, when there in fact is no peace. 2 Timothy chapter 4 reminds us that they will tickle the ears of the listening individual and share things that they want to hear. And so they tell their followers that their words and their actions are powerful. With the right perspective and the positive thinking, you'll be able to move mountains. And you hear this, and you are warm to the heart. But Jesus says, instead of being warm to the heart, you should beware. That no matter how good they sound, no matter uh, how big their churches are, no matter how many books they've written, no matter how nice their words may seem or how big their smiles may be, they carry death and destruction in their wake. How do they do this without anybody noticing? Notice the costumes they wear. The costumes they wear. Jesus says these false teachers are wolves in sheep's clothing. Now that may seem a bit odd to us, I mean, we use that term in our vernacular, but what really does that mean? Where's the root of that? Well, right away we can think of back to the nursery story or the bedtime story, I'm not sure what you would call it, of Little Red Riding Hood. Remember good old Red? She's out walking about, and she finds herself in her home after a long day, and uh, granny comes to visit, right? Right? I got the story right? I hope I do. Granny comes to visit, and, and what does Little Red do? Oh, Granny, what, what, what a big nose you have. Oh, Granny, what, what big teeth you have. Now I don't know what the wolf was doing. I, I said in the first service, she must have had an eye problem. I mean, how did she not see that the wolf was in Granny's clothes? But Before she knew it, what happens? She's devoured, which is kind of weird. That's a bad nursery rhyme story okay? She's deceived. And yet, when we get that picture in our mind, it does not help us as fully as what the context of what Jesus is telling us. You see, when Jesus says they are dressed in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, the people in Jesus's day would have readily understood what Jesus was talking about. You see, there were shepherds and and the agrarian society that these people were a part of, they knew what Jesus was talking about, and here's what it was. Shepherds would take the hides of the dead sheep of the flock. And instead of just letting their carcasses lie or or just burying them, they they would gut the animal, use whatever parts of the animal they could, and then after that they would take the hides of the animal and use it as clothing. And they would use it as clothing, number one, to protect themselves from the elements that are around them. You know, the wind, the rain, and all of that. And so an animal skin would be incredibly profitable for a shepherd to have. But there was a second reason why they would use that. The second reason was they would use that to attract the sheep of their flock to them. You see, the smell of of a flock was something that was very natural uh, to the sheep. And so what the shepherd would do so that the sheep would hear his voice and would see him and respond to him is he would take one of the flock after it had died and it would start wearing the, the hide of that animal. So when the sheep saw the shepherd, they would say, that's one of ours, he's, he's with us. And, and, and when they would come near to the, animal, or to the shepherd, they would smell him and say, he smells like us, he, he looks like us, we can, we can follow him, we can know that he's going to lead us to the way of everlasting. Can I help you? Jesus, Jesus shows us this as the good shepherd. You know what Jesus did? Jesus showed us that the good shepherd, that we could know him because he put on flesh and made his dwelling among us. You see, as the good shepherd, he took that which we, if he had come just as an angel or as a spirit, we wouldn't have known him, we wouldn't have understood him, and yet Jesus comes, he puts flesh on, he looks like us, he smells like us, he has to do the things that we do, and that we would then say, he's our shepherd, we are going to follow him, he has the words to eternal life, and, and I will follow him, and so Jesus isn't just the, she, the lamb that that went to the cross, was slaughtered for us. He is the shepherd who wears the, the skin of the animal so that we may know he is ours and we are his. And here's the problem. The false teachers recognize this and they know it. And though they're not the good shepherd, though they are ravenous wolves underneath, instead of uh, showing themselves for who they are, they wear costumes and they put on that shepherd what the shepherd does they put on the sheep skin and as a result of that the sheep think that they're okay notice the reason why they do this is they're concealing their ways they're concealing their ways see here's the problem they come in and they look the part they smell the part they act the part and and the sheep are getting cozier to them and getting closer to them, and they're thinking, wow, this shepherd is great, the shepherd's got wonderful things, the shepherd is leading us to good places, and the whole reason why that shepherd is wearing those sheepskins to cover really who he is, a ravenous wolf. Now, the word ravenous, first of all, speaks to an absolute hunger. This wolf is just so hungry it is ready to find whatever it can and rip it from limb to limb. It is ready to devour the carcass of any of the sheep that come its way. And so what it does is it dresses itself so beautiful and it looks the part, and so the little sheep come up close to it, cozy up to it, and what happens? Before they know it, the teeth of the wolf are deep inside its flesh, tearing it apart, using it to feast on for its own gain and and glory. Now, they do this. Why? Number one, they do it as a, as, a, as a way to mimic the way of their father, the devil. You see, the devil doesn't come out and, and as the boogeyman. Who would follow the ways of the boogeyman? He doesn't show himself to be the, the uh, terrible creature that he is. No, the Bible says he masquerades himself as an angel of light. So that when we see the devil and we see his demons, we, we are attracted to it. Well, this is what the false teachers do. They find themselves something that they can masquerade around, concealing their ways so that they are ready uh, for when the sheep least recognize it or see it. Now, what Jesus is talking about here isn't per se the cults itself. I'm going to assume that many of us are aware of the teachings that are blatantly obvious in the world of the cults. But to help you understand how to uh, to classify false teachers, I think it would be good for us to set some terms up. Number one, I want you to know is false teachers come in the way of heretics. Write that down somewhere. It's not in your outline, but they come as heretics. What are heretics? Heretics are those who openly reject the Word of God and teach that which is contrary to divine truth. Now, the heretics are what we see in the kingdom of the cults. So we see that with, again, the Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, Scientology, I mean, uh, there's, there's a vast majority of uh, of Christendom that is filled with all kinds of rank heresy. Now, to, to declare one of them, the issue of Mormonism. Mormonism is one that has become almost mainstream, okay? Uh, our last uh, Republican con- contender for, for our presidential office was a pastor within or an elder within the the Mormon church. He was exactly what I do on a Sunday morning. That was his job. And, and so we've come to recognize these guys are mainstream. Why? Because they believe in our morality. They believe in a lot of the things like family and the importance of church attendance and the importance of fellowship. But here's the problem. Just to give you an idea for those that don't know, Mormonism begins with a doctrine that teaches in a planet far, far away from here, God is a human being who is making spirit babies with his many, many wives. And we are the byproduct of that. That God, who was a man who became God, is now, he's, in essence, sharing his posterity with Mother Earth, and we are his spirit children. Now, the great thing in the Mormon faith is that, as men, we can do the same thing as our God in this planet can do, and that is we can become gods. And so, our job is to become gods in ourselves. Ladies, you're not left out. You get to be the wives of gods and give birth to spirit children yourself, all right? And so, how do you become a God? You begin to work your way into salvation to become a God. All right? Now, I get that they want to be family fun, and I get that they want to uh, pursue a life of morality, but the doctrine of the Mormon church comes from the pit of hell, and you need to recognize that. Okay? It's, it's all smoke and mirrors. My brother uh, Abraham once told me, uh, Abraham Dalal, I love this definition, I use it all the time. And he recognizes it from Jordan. He says, Mormonism is the American equivalent to Islam. And if you look at it, you would amen exactly what he has said. Works-based salvation with a God who is not the God of Scriptures. He is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you need to understand that. And you need to do your research because I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, their church is right down the street. We don't have to look very far, and if you drive by on Bliss Road, you're going to see their parking lot filled with people who believe they're on the narrow road, but they are on the way that leads to destruction. They're heretics. Number two, there are apostates. The Bible uses the term apostates. Apostate teachers are those who once followed the true faith but have turned away from it. They've rejected it and are trying to lead others away from it as well. Now, let's stop here for a moment. I saw a YouTube video that took place on uh, the Thursday before Easter. And it was a, a segment from the Colbert Report, which is a news program that does a lot of satire and comedy. And Stephen Colbert was having a guest on who was going to refute the teachings of Jesus Christ. And you would think that the individual who was going to do that would come in with a pitchfork and, and, uh, and uh, horns, they bring on the man. His name is Bart Ehrman. Let me tell you where Bart Ehrman's pedigree comes from. He's a graduate of Moody Bible Institute and a, uh, a graduate student of Wheaton College. You don't get much better than those two institutions. Bart Ehrman went to the schools that we love. And now what does he do? He teaches theology at Duke University, I believe. Check me on that. I think it's Duke University. And he writes books to tell people that the Jesus of the scriptures is not the Jesus at all. And he says, hey, I used to believe this way, but I don't believe this way anymore, and I want to show you the air of your ways. And I will tell you that I was very encouraged that Stephen Colbert, who is a practicing Catholic, does a phenomenal job at refuting this guy. I'd look it up. Okay, Bart Ehrman on uh, the Colbert Report. But that's an apostate. Let me give you another apostate. Not too many years ago in Grand Rapids, Michigan, one of the biggest names in Christendom for some time was beginning to rise up in the ranks. His name was Rob Bell. Came from Wheaton College, attended school around the same time as Pastor Keith did at Wheaton College. He was a very articulate, still is a very articulate uh, preacher and proclaimer of, of spiritual things. But as we began to watch his teachings, it started out very good at first and then it started to go off the rails. And only a couple years ago, he wrote a book called Love Wins in which he says that hell is only a temporal place of rejuvenation and change and then after a little time of reform in this place called hell, love wins and everybody makes it to heaven. We call that universalism. That is an apostate teaching. The Bible makes it clear there are two roads, one that leads to heaven, one that leads to hell. Those two places are eternal in nature. And so we call this stuff out because this guy who used to be orthodox is now telling everybody in the end everybody makes it to heaven. And that again comes from the pit and smells like smoke. Number three, they are the deceivers, the deceivers. The deceivers, while the other two would just give some some level of props to them, at least these two, the, the heretics and apostates, they at least speak their garbage with a sense of honesty. They tell you right away, we don't claim to believe what orthodox biblical Christianity affirms. So I'll give them that. At least they're honest with you. The deceivers, they're totally different. They give the appearance of orthodoxy. They frequently uh, give great declarations and fanfare about not being liberals, about not being cultish, about ones who speak favorably of Jesus Christ, the cross, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and so on. That true believers start to associate with them because they appear to be orthodox and evangelical through and through. From their books, vocabulary, their looks and associations, they give considerable evidence of genuine and true belief. But they're not genuine, they're fake and they're deceivers. And the world's full of them. So how do we recognize them? Notice the fruit that they exhibit. Jesus says, how do you recognize them? You're going to recognize them by their fruits. He says it twice, in verse 16 and in verse 20. So how do you see them? You recognize them by their fruits. What are their fruits? Number one, we need to understand that all teachers are displaying fruit. I want you to know that every teacher you have, including yours truly, are are producing fruit. And so you need to look at every one of your teachers and see them as a tree and say, what kind of fruit are they producing? Well, what are we to look for? What is the fruit of anyone's particular ministry? Number one, it's their creed. What I mean by that is their beliefs. Now, again, while heretics and apostates are quick to articulate where they disagree with Orthodox Christianity, the deceivers are far more subtle. And this is what deceivers will fail to do that is key to any bible preaching and teaching. Number 1, and write these down. Look at your teachers and preachers and ask these questions. Do they fail to preach about the holiness, righteousness, and justice of God? What I mean by that is are they only teaching are they only teaching the love of God? Now you say well doesn't isn't God love? Yeah. But we need to understand that God does not declare himself as simply only love as to the absence of all other attributes. God is a God of love. But the Bible makes it as emphatic as God is love, he is also wrath. As emphatic as God is compassion, he's a God of justice. As much as God is a God of mercy, he's also a God of total righteousness. And you've got to hold those things in context, and the Bible seemingly does that. You will have these times where God shows immense mercy to a group of people, and he wants to show that there is mercy and love and grace in this God of the universe whom we worship serve. But also, in other passages of Scripture, we see God's divine wrath and indignation against a group of people. And God is saying, hold these things in tension. And this is what churches will do now. They will only preach this God of love, this God that absolutely you would fall in love with because he's the soft teddy bear that you can run to, and you don't have to change anything of who you are. You just run and embrace this God, and everything will be just fine. Number two, Be careful of preaching that avoids the preaching on God's final judgment in a place called hell. As I said, this is Rob Bell's great failure. He's erased hell of its eternity and made it a temporal place of reform where God's love wins. Here's the problem. If there is no hell, there is no good news. Do you understand that? If all of us make it to heaven, then why are we wasting our time? If there's no hell, if there's no consequence for sin, then there's no reason for us to be here. We're all going to get there anyway, and that is the absolute tragedy, and travesty, if you will, of such teaching. Be careful. Make sure that you hear people talking about that we are people that will be accountable for our actions and our attitudes. Number three, be careful of preachers and ministries that de-emphasize the depravity of man. Instead of teaching people that they're dead in their trespasses and sin, they will teach people, and I quote, to find the champion in you. This will make Jesus out to be a motivational leader, not the Savior and Lord. Finally, they de-emphasize the cross and its atonement. They de-emphasize that Jesus went to the cross for the reasons that the Bible says he did to take our sin and to take upon him the wrath of God. They will say that Jesus going to the cross, if they even will say that, is so that he might be a great moral example of how we ought to sacrifice to one another, how we ought to serve one another. This is seen in a great debate that's going on in a new celebration hymnal that is being uh, launched in the last couple of years they put in that hymnal the song that we just sang, In Christ Alone. And in that, they, without telling the writers of the song, Chris and uh, Keith and Kristen Getty, that they were going to change the words of that song. We just sang it. Till on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. To which they changed it. On that cross where Jesus died, The love of God was magnified. Why? It was asked in an article of Christianity Today, why would you change the words of the song? People don't need to hear words like wrath and judgment. They need to hear from their God and their preachers something that is more palatable, and love being magnified is the way to go. Brothers and sisters, this is not happening far away from us. It is happening close to home. Now, you would say, what happens when you preach such things? I'll tell you what will happen. Not too long ago, there were some visitors that attended our church, and they had been coming for a while, and they were uh, some neighbor friends of, of one of our of our members, and I hadn't seen them for a while, and I said, hey, why are so-and-so not attending anymore? Something happened, and, and the person didn't want to tell me, but they said, they didn't like your preaching. They're not the first ones, nor will they be the last, Okay. And I says, what about it? You know, is it, is it, you know, I always go to the default, you know, is it too long? And, oh, no, they like the long sermons, they said. Okay, what did they say? You were supposed to say, no, Tim, it's not the length of your sermon. No, oh, whatever, you missed it. Okay, <laughs> what did they say? Tim's preaching depresses me, and I don't come to church to be depressed. I says, well, what, what do they mean by it? Well, they went on and told me. They want positive messages, positive things. Tim, When Tim speaks, it's always about how bad we are. Let me tell you something, okay? If you came for a positive message about who you and I are, find another church, okay? Because here's the thing that I know. God says nothing positive about us, okay? And God, when he speaks of the sinner, He says we're dirty, rotten scoundrels. And so what happens when we're dirty, rotten scoundrels? We're dirty, rotten scoundrels in the way we use our money, in the way we relate with our husbands and wives, the way we relate to our children, through the things that we watch on TV, through the way that we do all sorts of things. And so here is the problem that I pray that for the next uh, hundred generations we proclaim from this pulpit, that our problem isn't a money problem, it isn't a relationship problem, it isn't a problem with us not knowing something. Our problem is a sin problem, and the only answer to that sin problem is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? And so what you're going to hear is you are very, 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 and add a multitude of varies after that, you're very bad. And just to be fair, so am I. And God is very, 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 very good and glorious. And the reason why we worship him and not self is we're bad and God is glorious. To him be the glory, honor, and praise. And that will depress the one who is desiring to hear good things about themselves. And you will gut the gospel every time you elevate man and devalue God. So it leads then to the character of these individuals One, we have to view their character. And so we look at the teaching of these people and we ask, what's their character? What is their personality like? What is their attitude like? Their motives, their thinking. Now, you can't get into the heart of another individual. And so you look at their creed, but but the character. And so the question is, how do they act? How do they respond uh, to their Lord? And I want you to recognize this. Jesus gives us a great job description or examination tool in Matthew chapter 5, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, what are your teachers to look like? Your teachers are to look like those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn over their sin, those who are meek and humble, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, those who are willing to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Is that what your teachers that you're listening, is that, hopefully, is that what you see in me? If not, I need to be challenged in that. I need to be brought to bear the the accountability that every good teacher would desire. Do they see themselves as a sinner in need of grace? This will be seen in one final thing, and that is their conduct. How do they live? How do they relate with others? Here's a couple questions I want you to ask of your teachers. Number one, do they have a God complex? Do they have a God complex? That is, do they see themselves as God's answer to Christianity? I was leafing through uh, a couple pages of a book written by one of the great false teachers in our day, and in the foreword it said this. This is the greatest teaching that has taken place in the church's history for 2,000 years. When you heap that kind of praise on a person, something's out of whack. Do their speakers, I'm sorry, do their followers speak about the critical place that they have in their lives that, listen, when you say I would be lost without them, you don't understand the absolute critical nature that that preacher has had in my life. Do you understand the the peace that that preacher's given me and all that? Let me tell you something. I love it when you guys encourage me, but if you start talking that I'm central to the reason why you have salvation, I'm going to slap you. That's the Holy Spirit. And we as preachers and proclaimers of God's word are simply the mouthpieces who ourselves are sinners and in need of grace. Be careful of people who talk about the visions God gave them. Be careful of people that come up with, well, this is a new take on an old scripture. Be careful, be careful, be careful. Number two, be careful to see if they're greedy or not. There are far too many pastors are using ministry so that they might live in luxury. Now, I listen to me. I am a strong proponent that churches should pay their pastors an honorable wage. I don't want to see, I don't think preachers, pastors should be left in poverty while the rest of the congregation lives um, a different way. But some of the major pastors in our churches in the May are making hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions, I knew I learned of one pastor uh, in uh, in a set of uh, meetings that I had. Where one pastor that was there with us, talking to us, said that his um, housing allowance for tax purposes is two hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. Well, how do you get a housing allowance of that? The man owns a twelve, I think twelve or sixteen thousand square foot home, little bigger than what we've got here, isn't it? They're driving Bentleys and Mercedes and all different sorts of things. Now, are cars bad? No. Are houses bad? No. But if this is why they are pursuing these things, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. The Bible says that, uh, I'm sorry, not the Bible, the Didache, which is an early writing of, of what is called the Apostles' Teaching, said that you can, tr- you can know whether it's a false teacher or a uh, true teacher by whether they ask you or not at the end of their time for money. That they say, I will freely receive and I will freely give. And notice the great, the great apostles, none of them had all of this stuff. We've got to ask that question. We've got to say, what are, they, what are they in this for? Number three, how do they govern people? How do they govern people? Do they rule people with iron fists? Do they discard people who don't agree with them? Do they, are they quick to pontificate and bloviate and walk around like a king? Be careful. Be careful when your pastor walks around with a posse of individuals keeping everybody from him. You don't think that's happening? I've gone to conferences where people that, that we would hear on Moody Radio and that have got posses of people around them with hearing things looking like he's the president of the United States. You've got to be careful with this stuff. Be careful of preachers who sound really strong and who are hurtful in their wake. I I know of a firsthand experience of a pastor who preaches in a very evangelical church, who many of you would be acquainted with his ministry, who in a meeting told another staff member at this church, You kiss the pastor's ring, so kiss it. This is a problem. Be careful of this stuff. This is stuff we've got to be on guard for. We have to observe the creed, the character, and the conduct of our preachers and teachers or we'll fall prey to it. So here's where the scripture ends up. I don't want to take a lot of time with this because I don't think Jesus was was only telling us what happens to them. What's the fate that they can expect? What's going to happen to these guys and gals who do such things? Jesus makes it abundantly clear. Notice the fate that they can expect. Throw that up on the screen for me. The fate that they can expect is that they will be cut down, they'll be cut down, and they'll be cast out. Notice what the Scripture says. What's their end? The Scripture says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Based on that, in James, that tells us that teachers will be held to a stricter judgment, therefore not all of us should be teachers, tells me something. And that verse makes me fearful. Because I know what's happening today. I know that that you're examining me and I'm worried about that, meaning I want to do a good job for you and all of that. But here's the thing I'm more worried about. The the Lord is examining me. He's examining my heart and he's examining my words. And it says, I'm going to be under stricter judgment. Some some of you guys are going to be in the fast lane, okay, of the judgment. And then he's going to be like, all right, but all hit to the left. We got some things to talk about. You preach a lot of sermons. We got some things to work through. But I want to be in your lane. The Bible makes it clear that based on the idea that teachers are held to a stricter judgment and that these teachers will be thrown into fire tells us that some of these teachers that we are listening to, because of their doctrine and their deceiving of others, will experience a hotter fire in hell as a result of what they do. And so if Jesus is saying that, we need to be on the guard and recognize that these people lead others to destruction. So what are some practical takeaways today? I've got three for you very quickly. Number one, start being discerning. Start being discerning. The word Christian doesn't always mean Christ-approved. My wife will say I went on a soapbox here, and here's my soapbox. We listen to radio stations that brag to be family-friendly and positive and encouraging. There's a reason why they use that terminology, brothers and sisters, because it's not always God-exalting. And we, as a church and and as Christians, oh, this is good. It's better than than some of the, the other stuff, some of the secular stuff. Let me tell you something. I would far rather listen to some truth about sin than untruths about my Savior. And what I mean by that is I would rather listen to songs that talk about love and talk about relationships from a secular point of view than I would a person that calls himself a Christian defaming the name of Jesus with bad doctrine. And we listen to it. And we listen to it because it, it's, it's Christian radio. Oh, then it's all fine and dandy. Listen to some of them. I am appalled at some of the stuff I hear on those radio stations. And I have to tell my kids that's not the Jesus that we preach about. We go to movies and we are inflamed with anger, that an unbeliever would say things that may not be true about the story of Noah. And we throw it down like it's trash, but we'll go to a movie that says heaven is a real place and puts a Christian label on it, and the garbage that comes from that movie, we say, oh, what a great Christian movie. That movie is not for you. Heaven, uh, by the perspective of a little kid, I don't know what he saw, but the Bible says that no one sees heaven except the one who descends from heaven. So, be careful of this stuff. Be careful of the TV channels that you're watching that talk about Christianity and are preaching a pack of lies. Be careful of the books that you read. I've seen some of the books that you read. I go to your houses. I see some of them. And if you're lucky enough, I've told you about them. So, what do you do? You study to determine if your teachers pass the test. Be a Berean. The Bereans in the book of Acts, they listen to Paul and they're like, Paul, this is great. We're going to go check our Bibles. You don't believe what I'm saying? Go check your Bibles and see if I'm a good teacher or not. I applaud that kind of studious work. Do what we're teaching our kids in Awana. In 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let me add something to that verse. Study to show yourself and your teachers as approved unto God. I think you can do that. I don't think that God's going to be mad that you're studying not only for yourself to see if you're approved, but if your teachers are as well. And number three, submission and dependence. Submission and dependence on your elders is crucial. And you say, wait a minute. I need to listen to you guys? Yeah, you do. And you listen because number one, you have seen in our course of life That we preach and teach the good things of God. You yourselves as a membership of the church have affirmed upon us the role of elder. We didn't put ourselves in this situation, in this position. You did. And what is the job of the elder? Remember in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, your elders are there to keep watch over your soul. So an elder shouldn't ask you about counting calories. What the elder should be asking is what doctrine are you listening to? In in the book of Titus, during the, the qualifications, Paul says this, that an elder must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. The job of the elder is to protect you, the sheep, from bad doctrine. And so see that role. Ask your elders questions. Hey, I got this book. Hey, I saw this video. Hey, I'm listening to this song and it doesn't seem to make much sense. Help me with it. Is it a good song? Is it a good book? Is it? A... And that's what elders, their job is to do is to seek those things out. So take heed to Jesus' words today. Be on the lookout. Beware. I'm going to pray and I'm going to show one more video. We don't show a lot of videos, but today I thought... The videos I found I thought were really helpful for us. But I'm going to pray and I'm going to challenge some of you because some of you, especially the older generation, are not fans of rap. You're going to close out the service with a rap song. And I'm going to help you because the words are going to be on the screen, but they're going to call out some things that will be good for us. And once the song is done, you're dismissed. And I pray that you adhere to this teaching. And you would seek out to make sure this teaching is right because when Jesus says beware, we need to beware. So let's pray. Father God, ask for your protection. We know there's a lot of charlatans. We know there's a lot of hucksters. We know there's a lot of people that are desiring to fleece the flock of God for their own selfish desires. We know in latter days, Lord, that many teachers will come and that people will turn their attention to these destructive heresies and doctrines taught by demons so that they may gain something out of it. Lord, I pray, number one, for this church, that that will never be the case. Lord, never let us be too proud to think it could never happen to us. And number two, Lord, I pray that we as a people would become more diligent, that we would use our mind. You tell us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we'd use our mind to ascertain whether or not what we're reading, what we're listening to, what we're watching is good. And, Lord, I pray that these ministries, Lord, would be cut down and be thrown in the fire, Lord. I pray that, Lord, before that would take place, they would repent. But, Lord, you know their hearts and you know their minds. And so, Lord, I pray that you would cut these things out because they are destroying many and leading many to the way of destruction. Thank you, Lord, for a church, Lord, that preaches and teaches what I believe to be the truth of God, not only through my lips, but from the teachers, from the youngest of our kids through our student ministries, to our, to our adults, Lord, in multiple classes that preach and teach the Word of God. Let us stand by that because that is the only truth we have. In Christ's name, amen.